Welcome to Submittable's Impact Audio. I'm Rachel Mandel. Impact Audio is the podcast featuring educated guests making educated guesses about where philanthropy is headed next. This episode is drawn from a webinar Submittable hosted with the authors of an important new book, The Tech That Comes Next, released in March of 2022. Today you'll hear from Amy Sample Ward, the CEO of N10, and Ifua Bruce, an expert in tech, strategy, government, and NGOs. Amy and Afua are true tech leaders with deep training. I encourage you to peruse their full bios on the webpage for this episode. Laura Steele from Submittable talked with Amy and Afua about the book and about tactics for building community through technology. Here's Amy, followed by Afua, introducing their focus for the book. So the book is called The Tech That Comes Next. And really what we are here to talk about is technology. We will be saying the word technology a lot, but what we are really trying to talk about is community. That is underneath and around and in the middle of all of the topics that are in the book and that we want to talk about today. So when we think about how um, technology works today and sort of how uh, the social impact sector works today, we recognize that there's a lot of activity, but it, the activity doesn't necessarily serve everyone or serve everyone equitably. So when we look at how we're set up today, you see a lot of silos. You see a lot of information uh, stored in one place or maybe hoarded in uh, one place or among certain groups of people and not distributed. You have technology that doesn't recognize all all genders or all races or people with all different types of abilities. So technology today and sort of the world that we're set up in today, while perhaps, uh, you know, created around some lofty goals, that inclusive world does not exist today. At this point, Amy and Afua shared some framework behind the book. The tech that comes next focuses on five groups, social impact organizations, funders, policymakers, technologists, and communities as well as six guiding values aimed at prioritizing lived experience, improving equity, leading with accessibility, and building for the future as a collective. Please note, this is a very quick summary of complex ideas. Do check out the book and webinar for a fuller understanding. After their intro, Laura asked how Afua and Amy recommend approaching conversations and decisions regarding technology. So I think that there are a number of ways people can go about this. One is just being in community with people um, who have some of that knowledge and expertise. I think, you know, one of the values that we outlined is sort of around needing to have a diversity of thoughts. So if uh, technology expertise in the traditional sense is not yours, um, find a friend who it might be. There are, you know, a lot of different communities um, that engage in this. There are a lot of um, different ways of uh, being a technologist that really are centered around educating as you are developing, as you're deploying. I also would add that I think at least for, you know, folks in social impact organizations of all different job titles and backgrounds, there's an, a need slash I will provide an invitation to kind of let go of what I think has been put onto us, the idea that we are not technologists. Um, and that is just like, honestly, not the case. Like y'all are currently on a Zoom call. We are technologists, you know, like getting rid of that idea that wasn't our idea to begin with, but we heard it so many times that we've started to believe it, that only certain people in like, 
you know, a fancy Google office are technologists. And that's just not true. Organizations of all different kinds, nonprofit staff of all different departments and teams are finding technical solutions to problems that are happening every day in their organization. Laura asks for advice on building relationships across organizations and with technologists in an often fragmented social impact sector. I think that can happen in a number of different ways. One, you know, conversations like this, where you can understand some of what's out there and you might be able to uh, meet folks who are doing similar work to you or have a product that is uh, similar to your needs and to start the conversations there. So I think that is first and foremost what to do. I think second, you know, that can be done directly as a leader of an organization or having your tech folks, whatever tech folks means at your organization. Um, if it's someone who that is one of five hats they're wearing, so be it. Um, but uh, take the time and, um, you know, go to places such as Intend to meet others doing this work and to, to share there. I think um, from the funding side, there are also opportunities there to uh, just create space and to bring different organizations together or just to allow some time for intentional collaboration across organizations um, that have similar missions and for allowing that. And then I think also um, leveraging or building some shared infrastructure to share technical tools um, across organizations is something that is there's both a growing need for and a slowly uh, growing practice of doing that as well. I think the thing to be really cognizant of, though, is we always start with what's the mission of the organization, what is the organization actually trying to accomplish? I want to build on what Afu is saying. I think um, with my, let me take off my book hat and put on my N10 hat, Um, you know, in N10's research for years and years, you know, 15 years, we have seen these very clear patterns where organizations who do certain things regardless of budget size, regardless of mission, are higher on uh, their tech effectiveness. And again, people of all budget sizes are at that high level, but the practices are not. They buy the most expensive technology or they buy the newest technology. The things that make folks higher up on that effectiveness or that to a fluid point, they can articulate what technology needs to do for them in their strategic plan, right? So that they know okay, we're not just making decisions because we saw, you know, a flashy ad. (laughs) We know what we need technology to do, and that can guide our our decision-making. And that people from, you know, across the organization are part of those technology conversations. I think another piece to remember as far as choosing technology is that there's a very different process and context if you are going to reactively make a technology decision versus proactively make a technology decision. Um, when the when the pandemic started, and of course, like we all remember, almost exactly two years ago to today, being told like, let's just go home for two weeks, it'll be fine. Obviously that was not the case, um, but so many organizations, you know, scrambled and said, okay, well, we'll just get on Zoom, we'll get on whatever. And like, you know, no, no, nothing bad to say to Zoom specifically, but Zoom could not have been the correct product answer to every single nonprofit technical need, right? Just like out of probability that it couldn't have been, but it was the thing. Um, and we heard from organizations, for example, where you know they they reactively in that moment of feeling like, oh my gosh, if we don't do this, we won't have our programs anymore, right? Put up a you know sign on form on their website and started to use Zoom for their programs and then realized 
months later, oh, now we're, we have a bunch of people on our database that aren't even in our service area because we never, we never really thought about the intake process we write for our clients. We never thought about how we would check what we were doing. We just moved quickly. Um, and as humans, we don't really have a track record of making the best decisions reactively as fast as we can. Um, <laughs> we don't have a great track record of decisions like at all, but the times when we are going to make the best decisions are when they're proactive, when we are taking the time to do it right and to do it inclusively and include community members along the way so that when we get to the end, we already have buy-in, we have trust, but we also know how and why we made those decisions. Laura asked about how to shift from a siloed approach to a more collaborative one. I'll start um, and then we'll quickly turn it over to Amy because I'm sure Amy has a lot of thoughts on uh, this topic and especially um, from what they've seen at uh, N10. So I, I think, you know, some of the silos are created because for good reason, for presumably good reasons, and that people, as they entered the space, came in with different missions or came in with a different focus or saw themselves as acting in only one role. And sort of just sort of over time, it's evolved into now sort of defined silos. And so even though um, there's a, a logical explanation for it, those silos may not serve us well today, because of course, um, sure most people on this call, if not everyone on this call, can relate to the fact that to solve our biggest problems today and to solve a lot of the problems you're probably facing in your organization, you need a lot of different minds and a lot of different perspectives and a different set of resources. Um, the conversation, though, about resources, though, also uh, contributes to some of the silos or some of the lack of information sharing, and that sometimes organizations can operate from a scarcity mindset and that there's only X number of dollars available. And so I have to focus here. I can't share anything that I'm doing because then I'll lose uh, my funding or I'll have to decrease services. And so and my encouragement there is to really uh, recognize that there's plenty of work to go around and, you know, some creative ways to address the funding needs and to address capacity needs uh, and more. And then I think the third thing that's there is just um, the recognition of time and space for this work to happen. And, you know, it can be challenging uh, as you're leading an organization and used to be an executive and nonprofit myself. And so understand that you have a lot of things that you're thinking of and you have a lot of things that you're managing and the effort to go across silos, the effort to have some of that communication is a non-trivial one. Um, it takes time. It takes money sometimes in order to have those conversations. Um, and I think also uh, touching on um, something that was somewhere in the chat that I've also now lost track of, um, that some of this inclusive process, you know, recognizing that it does take time and it does take energy. And so I want to make sure that it doesn't come across that we are trying to minimize that, but rather say that it's important to think about that and include some of that in the project plans that you have, include some of that in the strategies you have. It's that, that time to do the intentional communication across silos, to do the intentional communication across diverse groups, to do the communication, to get um, the community input um, and involvement into to tech development and tech deployment. You are right that I do have many feelings about this topic. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the first thing I'll say is, I guess, like a an opportunity to let go of feeling any sort of way that you might be feeling about this question that like, you don't need to def feel defensive of like, why or how silos exist, because you didn't make them, right? The systems that have created this sector 
naturally also, because competition is built into that, built the silos. And so we don't need to defend them. We don't need to feel nervous naming them or talking about them. Like they're just there. It is just the color of the wall. And so it's fine to talk about it because if we don't talk about it and we pretend the silos aren't there or that we don't want to talk about how they're there, we can't change them, right? To Afua's point, it is not trivial, um, the work that it would take to even today work outside of or, or between or across those silos. And we even make the recommendation in the book that funders need to be funding spaces that can be emergent. That even if you're not a funder and you're not giving financial resource, do you physically have a building where people can meet? Make it available for free. The more opportunities folks have to literally just sit together and talk, the more we create space for those emergent ideas that may actually turn into the best thing we need for our community, right? Um, but we need the space to actually connect and talk without thinking about, oh my gosh, I have to be doing this. I'm getting these three calls. I have 18 emails. You know, we need open connective space so that we can have emergent ideas together. Laura then asked how systems like Agile can apply in the social sector. Agile is defined by Oxford languages as a method of project management used especially for software development that is characterized by the division of tasks into short phases of work, often called sprints, and frequent reassessment and adaptation of plans. N10. Loosely, we have an agile approach to everything we do. We're, you know, we're very iterative, but we are working on a website redesign project right now, um, and we actually decided that we would take strolls. We're not here to sprint. We're not here to burn out. We're here to take a stroll. What we can do in those two weeks is what we can do. And at the end of it, we will still check in with the community and our committees and all these different folks, right? But like, if every single thing in our project management system isn't checked off by the end of the two weeks, it was a stroll. We didn't make it all the way around the park, you know, like this is still fine. Um, and it has actually created a lot more flexibility for the iterations of of where we go because the loosening of the pressure trickled out even to the committees and the community members who are involved in the process. So they don't feel like, oh my gosh, everything's a rush, but we're still exactly at the same point overall in the project as we wanted to be, but we just took a more human process to it. You too could go for strolls or like, I don't know, Ferris wheel rides, like whatever you want, whatever works for your organization. like. You can adjust these models to, to work the way your org culture and community works. If you enjoyed these excerpts, I'd highly recommend checking out the full webinar linked in the episode notes and picking up the book at thetechthatcomesnext.com. This was an incredible conversation, especially for professionals dedicated to social impact. Thanks to you for joining us today. Impact Audio is edited and produced by Jordan Marvin, Laura Steele, and yours truly. Submittable is a cloud-based social impact platform designed to help your team make better decisions and have a bigger impact. We'd love to partner with you to maximize social good and create lasting change through smarter technology. Find out more at submittable.com. And until next time, take good care.